Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and super excited about another great episode that we have today. Today's guest is, for starters, an Army veteran, which I'm very excited about, and he's going to talk a little bit about that in his background. Uh, he's also got a great focus on creative communications and engagement strategies. He's a ProSize certified change practitioner and is currently a change management specialist at Hallmark Cards. Please welcome Elliot Weishner. Hello, Elliot. Hey, hey, thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. This is an awesome opportunity. I appreciate it. Really looking forward to our conversation today. We had a couple of great uh, sidebars during our prep call, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing some of those thoughts with our audience. Um, so before we do that, let's start, as we always do with the show, and ask to get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. What a question to kick it off with. Uh, I, uh, I love that there is no such thing as a uh, softball here. Um, so, But in that case, uh, I would say that a lot of organizations, at least the ones that I've worked through uh, in my experience, are going through the same type of digital transformation. You know, they're making all these plays for efficiency, for for savings in their processes. You know, whether that be time savings or, you know, financial savings through you know simplifying workflows and and, and work streams in their organization. Um, all of that trickles down. And, and by that, I mean, uh, at, the, at the ground level, there are doers. There are folks that either put, you know, in a food service organization, that could be the people that put the plate on the table. Um, in, in a healthcare organization, that could be the people that are seeing patients or processing patients, you know, either in an administrative capacity or otherwise. Um, supply chain, that's, you know, moving boxes, moving crates, and checking things off a list, right? Ultimately, a lot of those come down to either uh, impacts to how those folks are comfortable working, or in, in many cases, sometimes it's adding steps because it's not clearly explained, hey, we need to add these processes in. We need to add these extra steps for data collection, extra steps for verification, because it's going to pay these dividends for our companies in this way. And I think that that's not a knock on these organizations doing those transformations. I think it's a much needed step sometimes to bring a lot of, you know, I've seen organizations that are still operating off of mostly paper um, to bring them into the 21st century. But that's a huge leap, and uh, especially for those doers, for those frontline workers, and, and even, you know, their supervisors who now have to add on you know, walking the floor uh, and, and, and dealing with, you know, personnel issues, tack on, you know, these also these administrative tasks. So I think that in a digital transformation, the number one thing that companies need to do is make sure they're considering how this is going to impact their doers and, and build into the project plan ways to mitigate those issues. And I mean, hey, that's where change management comes in. So, yeah, I, I love the, the term you're using, doers. I, I, I really like that. And it's, 
some folks that might consider themselves knowledge workers might get offended and say, well, what do you think I'm doing? I'm, I'm doing too, but I, I know what you mean. There's, there's a, there's a physical element in many of the, the roles, you know, frontline workers and um, you know, they, they do have hands on the, the, the business, right? Firsthand. And every time we implement new technology with the men and women on the front lines, we are probably adding steps and, and, you know, you use the expression, it might pay dividends down, down the road. Right. But they may not know, or, or at least at first blush care about that. And so it's all of our jobs to make sure that we're helping them understand, you know, what that payoff is. I, I think there's another element of that though. And we've talked about this a couple of times on the show, which is about how we give them some space to incorporate that new change, right? So if, if their job is to handle 500 widgets a day or 50 boxes a day or wrap 50 pallets a day or you know whatever the case may be, we have to give them space to then be able to incorporate these new changes. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, we always do a great job of giving them that space. Do, I, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, what came to mind immediately was I think many organizations will assume, uh, and this kind of goes back to maybe the question of like, what is change management? We'll assume that change management is, is two prongs, right? It's, it's communication and it's training. And a lot of folks see those as the spaces, I think. Uh, well, I told you during our standups that this was coming and we have training for, it could even be, you know, you could give them a month of training, right? It could be very hands-on. Maybe if it's a very technical solution, you need to have that hands-on and you have all these resources, right? But to your point, um, that is not accounting for the personal way people process change, right? So first of all, getting them on board is not as simple as answering some questions during a standup. It is, it is right. checking back in with them. It's, you know, it's, it's this routine process and it has to be a routine process of, of making sure people are processing the change uh, so they'll get on board with it a lot smoother. And on top of that, you know, a lot of folks will say, well, you know, you took, you took your classes, you took your training and you, you, for you know, lack of a better word, you passed them. So you should be good to go. And it's, you know, it's not often the case because your job is never just, you know, sitting there doing these steps in this perfect order. It's always these other, other things going on. And especially with deskless workers where, you know, usually you'd like to think of, uh, maybe you like the, the closest thing I have in my mind is supply chain where you like to think that, Oh, they're really only doing like one thing, right. They're moving pallets, but it's never the case. They're always doing it. There's multiple things. And usually changes are also happening, you know, in, in, in a compounding way where you've got um, not only new processes that you're trying to teach this person on, which might be what we're talking about, but on top of that, Oh, we implemented a new workforce solution. So now you have to learn, you know, how to punch in and out on uh, a time on a time clock or from your mobile phone, right. Or from a tablet from your workstation. Uh, and on top of that, we're, we, you know, we need you to do these audits. So there's this other process that we're adding in. Um, so, so you have to build that. I love that, that phrase of building that space, for people to kind of engage with the change um, in, in their own way, and and be a re- and while you are there and as a change management professional, at least is the is the lens yeah. I'm looking at it from as, as that resource to say, well, you know, as you're coming along, here's the resourcing, here's where you take your questions, here's who you need to engage with. Um, but I agree, you definitely have to build that build that space in. 
you said something else that I think is important that we remind the audience. That is that this is not just a one and done activity. We don't get to just communicate, train, check the box and consider it done when we're talking about digital transformation with anyone, but especially the men and women on the front lines. And we, you know, I've always said we need to look at innovation as a journey, not a destination. This isn't something that we just arrive at one day and say, okay, you know, we've kind of, we've covered our basis here. Let's, let's move on. And, and I think there's something inherently broken with the way that large companies deploy technology or really deploy a lot of things inside the organization in that everything is set up as projects and projects by definition have a start and an end date. And then there's I, what I've seen is just a, a poor transition from that project mentality over to steady state. And I don't know if there's any magic potions that can make that better, but I'd be curious to get your take on that. If you've seen that as well, and, and, and perhaps if there are any better ways to aid in that transition of going from project mode when we are in deployment phase, mm -hmm. but to ensure that there's a steady state and some you know, kind of a continuous process to make sure that things continue to go as usual. That's a, that's a great call out. Um, and I, you know, I would even take issue with the phrase like steady state, because I think yeah. you probably attest to there's, that is a, that is a relic right. at this You're point. Right. People, uh, people are experiencing just vast amounts of change in how they're expected to operate day to day. That's knowledge workers. That's, you know, uh, these deskless, uh, doers, so to speak, um, business owners even, right? Like who they're accountable to. Um, that is the landscape. Change is the landscape that folks are operating in now. And uh, to me, uh, not to, uh, we talked about this in one of our offlines, but uh, one of the unfortunate burdens of a change manager is that you are constantly, uh, in some cases, uh, hawking change management. But yeah. I think it is building change management as an institutional competency, right? If you are adaptable and, and, and flexible during times of change, your reaction when asked to make those decisions and uh, do things like project plan, do things like determine what that, you know, what the intended steady state for a solution is going to look like. You're already taking into consideration, well, how is this going to live on? What's, you know, what's that reinforcement mechanism right after go live? What's, what's the way that we turn that mechanism into how the organization just routinely interacts with this tool? Who's maintaining it? Um, I think those questions asked early in the process. And it's not, I'm not saying you need to have a full answer, right? And, and you know, coming in with an idea of this is the organization that's going to own it. Uh, here are the folks that are going to be reviewing policy. Um, I, I think that's especially important because to me, that's where the ball gets dropped. It's, it's not necessarily in go live because, you know, as much as I think people like to just blame project managers for everything, the Herculean lift of turning on some of these um, systems, in many cases, multiple systems that have to interact with each other is, is incredible. Um, what can we do as change management professionals to ask questions in this meeting to say, well, as people are interacting with this during the go live period, during hypercare, during sustainment, you know, during kind of the day to day, 
who are they talking to if their tablet goes down, you know, especially for deskless workers, who are they talking to if their tablet goes down at their workstation? Who are they talking to when um, they need to put more orders in for, for this solution? Maybe there's, you know, as companies expand, they want to expand this effort. Um, but, but asking those questions, I think, early and often I, I, is, is one of the few ways I can see to get at um, how do you smooth out that, that jump from, you know, uh, old to new or, or yeah. current to future. It's funny. You, you called out the steady state comment. It's, it's funny. Um, as I think back, when you said that I started thinking back in my mind about all the different terms that large companies have used to describe, right. Pretty much everybody calls it project or deployment phase or something mm -hmm. on the front end. Right. But then that, that transition over to some future state, that future state's been called different things like business as usual and steady state and other things. As I'm thinking back to one of our clients in the past, they referred to that as the sustain phase. And actually that, that word actually might make the most sense because mm -hmm. it's not suggesting that it's steady. It is suggesting that there is the, the period of time that we have to sustain now this solution. And, and perhaps I, we never talked about this, but perhaps they included in that thinking that during sustain, it doesn't mean steady. It means continuous, you know? Yeah. So I, I know maybe it's just semantics about the things that we were calling things, but words matter and how we think about going into that process. I, I do think sometimes uh, it is seen as just steady state. And, and I would say, actually, what I witnessed is the probably the biggest challenge there is that leap from one state to another mm -hmm. because the people change and who you call may change, right? There's so many things that are going on as we kind of hand off the hot potato from, from one mechanism to another. And I think what we need to remember is to the men and women that are on the receiving end to this, they're still just showing up to do their job, yeah. right? They, they don't, they're not in the midst of the project, right? They're in the midst of doing their job. You as the project team and the change management team and, and the IT guys and all the other stuff there, they're in the midst of a project, but to the people that are affected by this change, they're just coming into work for another day, right? Yep. And uh, so we, we need to consider that. So anyway, we're, we're really far down the road. Um, and, and I want to, I got to pull this thing back for a second here and tell our audience who the heck it is that they're hearing from. So um, please, Give us a little bit, bit of background. Tell us a little bit about your journey through uh, your life and into your career and some of the milestones and, and how you've ended up being a change management professional in Hallmark. Well, I'll, I'll start with uh, hearkening back to something you said about how words matter. I, um, I, I started uh, with a degree in English literature and with a focus on writing. And I did ROTC to commission as an officer in the Army uh, at John Carroll University. And those two things taught me um, how important it is to consider audience when you're uh, in, in the Army's case briefing, because a lot of it is focused on mission planning and explaining what needs to happen, particularly for officers. And then uh, from uh, the, the English point of view is considering audience for kind of the style of writing or uh, what you're trying to accomplish, right? Uh, and, and both of those things, you know, in my career in the Army, paid uh, paid huge dividends over and over. The more you can consider who you're speaking to and how you're speaking to them, I think that has been the bedrock of my of my career path so far in terms of having to brief soldiers on what needs to happen and you know in our in our behind the scenes, letting the listeners in behind the uh, behind the velvet curtain, so to speak. But uh, I talked about how 
it, it's there's a common misconception I think with the armed forces that you say jump, people say how high. That's the nature of the beast. And I think anyone who's served knows that it is a constantly um, ebb and flow and give and take of you know what you're able to accomplish on a day to day. And that's you know that's in any situation. I think your ability to inspire and motivate and, you know, motivate can be the care and the stick, but, you know, to motivate folks to accomplish something, that's what pays dividends for an organization. It's not your ability to wield your rank or, you know, know uh, more flavor, flavorsome curse words or something like that. Right. Uh, which I think is the common conception of, of what military service is like, but, um, and ultimately that also gave me an appreciation for the folks that is that, that do the job because uh, it would be very, uh, very wrong for me to say that an army officer accomplishes anything on their own. Absolutely not. It is a, you are a cat and uh, you know, the common phrase for officers is you're just hurting cats. You are the cat and people are just trying to put you in the right place at the right time. Um, and really the, focuses on improving and um, bettering the situation for the soldiers. And I think when you talk about now in my current role, an eye towards investing in people, investing in, um, in solutions that are going to provide folks the ability to better themselves, like that is what I find uh, the most, the most, um, I mean, to me, the most beneficial part of, of being a change management uh, professional. But um, so then moving on from the army, getting getting out and I uh, got a job in human resources. So, again, that's it was in a, a the human resources um, call center for an organization. And so that was just day to day dealing with folks having a hard time managing these these very systems that we're talking about that are antiquated and need to be updated. And navigating things like, you know, pay, payroll policy, um, you know, PTO policy, leave of absences, you know, these are incredibly stressful times. And so again, your point about words matter, like words, anybody I think who's been in a kind of that frontline situation of having to talk to someone who's having the worst day of their life, your words especially matter then. And, yeah. and that's in, you know, the, the easiest case in the world with, with that job. But in any case that, you know, allow me to practice, you know, kind of the organizational communication skills, um, leading to a uh, change management job, um, kind of at the center of that organization, which is where I got my ProSci certification, managing kind of a portfolio of projects that this organization was pushing out all of these major change initiatives at once. And, and just one of them would have been enough to kind of put an entire effort behind. So this, this, uh, this project management office that we sat in had, a, you know, so many plates spinning and it really gave me an appreciation for crafting a narrative behind why is the company doing all of this to you, the end user? Uh, and why do we need you to not quit your job and go somewhere else where the grass is greener, right? That's, I mean, that's a huge part of these conversations, especially nowadays. Um, and then I uh, ended up uh, currently at Hallmark. So just kind of bopping between uh, big projects. And so all of my change management roles have been in those types of organizations that are doing massive change initiatives, huge replacements of, uh, and one, it was, you know, this system that an organization has been using literally out of the box, it was created for them since the late 80s to, you know, 
2020. So an incredible leap in terms of what people have to deal with every day. Um, and I think it, it really go, gets understated a lot how much uh, impact someone's day to day in the especially in the office can have on like their entire concept of how their life is going. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the long and short of it. That's the uh, that's the winding path. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great journey, heavy on communications, which I love. And, you know, communication is obviously there's got to be a sender and a receiver. Um, and, and so, you know, what I've really come to realize a lot about change management professionals is that there's a hyper awareness of the men and women on the receiving end of all of this change, right? That's a big aspect as I've come to understand it of your job as a change management professional. And, uh, you know, I know the IT folks can, can get their responsibilities done on the project by making sure that all the ones and zeros travel through the network and on the devices correctly. But if, if we're not focused on the end users, then all that's for naught. So what is it that's driven you to want to focus on that piece? Like, what is it about the communication and the focus on the humans that you're describing? Like, how did that kind of turn into your career path? I think, um, inherently it starts with maybe um the the understanding that you know i as a as a person very empathetic i can't help but be you know concerned about how somebody's going to take something um and noticing how how much smoother certain things can go when there's intention behind your words. And, and by that, I mean, you don't need to, certainly don't tell people what you think they want to hear. You just need to really get to the, get to the crux of what you're trying to say. Uh, I think so much of business speak, so much of project speak is maybe in some cases intentionally um, obfuscating right it is trying to maybe cover up the seams of something um and going back to something you mentioned earlier uh in our conversation about how uh i think i think there is a concern that people don't necessarily want to seem as if they don't have all the answers or there may be um just trying to plug holes in the ship as they're going i think and I hope that with a better understanding of change management, people come to the understanding that um, it's okay to let people in a little bit, right? You don't need to let them in on all of the major backlog of issues that are happening with the project, but it's also important for people to understanding, understand how you're working on this and, and how the solution's going. And I think it helps people understand that you're human, there's going to be mistakes. And that doesn't mean that the go live is not going to happen. And it's going to be bad. It just means that I need your patience. And I need you to be on the team when that does happen. Right. And I think uh, a lot of a lot of projects kind of spin out because they're so concerned about one or two pieces of like, uh, bad feedback, or criticism when in actuality that should be welcomed, right? Especially during, you know, that that period right after go live, like, hey, I'm noticing these issues. That's that's just bug finding, right? That's that's just taking up issues with this with a with a program. Um, but anyway, I, I I just think that focusing on who you're speaking to um, more and more is gonna matter. Uh, 
as organizations continue to operate in this constant churn of change, right? Like that's never going away. And so in order to build people's um, capacity for, for being adaptable and flexible during change, not just giving up on it, you need to be clear, you need to be concise with what you're asking them to do with what's coming and um, focusing on, you know, why is this going to benefit you going back to kind of what we talked about at the top of yeah. uh, a lot of times, I don't think organizations really focus on this is how it's going to help you. This is even if it that you is like the proverbial like us, but, the bigger picture, the bigger yeah. the company or the team or whatever. Or just your day to day, like wouldn't yep. it be great to have this information to help you, or um, you know, your ability to operate in this system effectively will pay will pay dividends later by showing, hey, this person is really getting this system. Have we looked at investing in them in a supervisory capacity, right? Like I think a lot of folks. Um, in, in that deskless workforce, um, they, they shine by being good doers, right? And it's also important now that we're asking them to be technologically literate, that we're asking them to be concerned about, you know, the secondary and tertiary effects of their actions. Um, so I, I think that there's an awesome opportunity there by being clear with communication, you kind of set people up for success later. Um, but yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's really good. I, I think there is, um, there are a few things that you just said in there the, that I want to kind of reflect back on. And, and one of them is just the transparency and the communication from the, the project teams to those affected. And as I think back, I think if I could go over, you know, do some projects over again, um, part of what was holding us back was the user's perception that, oh, you know, the last time we rolled out technology, it was a cluster. It's probably going to be a cluster now. And I think some of the project teams I was working alongside uh, or maybe a part of were trying to set the stage like, oh yeah, but this time it's going to be better. This time it's going to be flawless. This time we've thought all those things through. And let's face it, you know, that's just very rarely the case. Um, in fact, if, if you had that flawless of a project that would almost really be an anomaly, right? There are just so many variables. And especially when we're talking about frontline workers, like we're talking oftentimes about mobile devices. We're talking about carrier networks. We're talking about Wi-Fi networks, right? We've got just bazillions of variables that affect the way that that technology is, is ultimately deployed and how it's consumed. And so, yeah, things are probably going to go wrong. And, and I guess um, there's room for us to tell them that. <laughs> In fact, not there, yeah. there's room. We need to make room. We need to warn them about that. We need to yeah. tell them. We need to be transparent. We need to say, we don't know exactly what's going to go wrong, but something's probably going to go wrong. So here, let's talk about how we're going to resolve those issues. And um, I just think we could do such a better job of, of bringing them on board. It, it reminds me, so you mentioned earlier, uh, I wanted to come back to this. You, you mentioned the term hypercare. And I have in my mind what hypercare means, but I've come to realize that hypercare uh, doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody. So mm -hmm. I'd like to hear what you mean by hypercare and talk that through a little bit. I agree. I think that's another one of those projectisms that, you know, it I'll is. give I'll give the two ways that I've heard it, but they're both particularly similar in, in, in a way. But okay. um, so in some cases, uh, I've heard hypercare to mean let's assess how the different organizations or departments or however you want to kind of chunk up a large organization. Let's assess how 
folks are doing with this new tool, this new process with like uptake, right? And then focus in on, you know, organizations, you know, from that you can say, okay, A, B, and E need, need time and attention because, you know, their uptake isn't as good or uh, they're not processing as fast or there's, there's complaints and issues coming in. So let's, let's focus the project team or the change management team on kind of sussing, getting, getting to the root of that. Right, maybe, and then and then you go into all right. So then it also means like the the retraining or the uh, extra bit of communication and then walkthroughs and, and FAQs and everything you put together to kind of help with that. So it's kind of twofold there. Uh, and the, the flip side of that is hypercare could just be uh, what I've experienced it as well is just kind of like you just sort of blanket assume that the organization as a whole is going to need some help post go live. So if go lives you know, December 1st, let's just assume the entire month of December, we are like, everybody's on, on, on like full, you know, availability to answer questions, to get to the root of issues, sussing out user, you know, kind of the user experience issues that are happening, um, doing retraining or, or pushing, you know, opportunities for folks to ask those questions and maybe develop new training materials, right? Um, so I've kind of seen it happen both ways, but essentially to me, it means that that period where you are, your, your time and attention is just fully focused on making sure that that adoption um, is, is, is your adoption requirements are, are being met in the organization. Yeah. I think my, my view of it is uh, more similar to kind of your second description, which is that there's, there's an assumption that we're going to need to, you know, blanket this organization with, some real high touch support for, you know, the two to four weeks following the initial go live. And that, that support level is different than what we would expect to be on an ongoing basis yeah. in more of a sustained phase. Right. So yeah. we are acknowledging that this level of support shouldn't be expected, hopefully or needed. Right. Uh, you know, at some point after that go live, um, but it, so I think that's really interesting in it. And as I heard you describing it and I was kind of absorbing that, I'm thinking to myself, man, there are probably so many opportunities for us to minimize the need for hypercare. Maybe an over-optimistic team would say, oh no, we've got all of our T's crossed and I's dotted. We're not going to need that kind of support going into yeah. the front end. Um, and maybe, a, a less organized team maybe is too optimistic. It doesn't, doesn't even think of the, the need for, you know, uh, hypercare or something like that in the first place. So I, I, I think I'm, as I'm thinking this through, I can think of examples of all of those cases. And uh, listen, there, I, I get it. There's not a, there's not necessarily a right and a wrong answer for how to do this. And it's going to be very subjective based on the type of the organization and the geographic distribution of, of all of the people and where your support resources can be and where they can't be and budgets and, and all of those other kind of things. But I, I think that the concept of hypercare, I think is really important. And you said the key, which is ensuring adoption. How do we ensure adoption? that we don't leave that site, whether it be physically or, or virtually, that we don't consider them in a sustained phase until we know that we have, um, we've achieved our adoption objectives. Yeah. And, and built into that, I mean, needs to be um, that person, you know, that, that personnel focused component of uh, the user experience as well. And I think that hypercare and, and really throughout the project, there should be other such touch points, but hypercare specifically in the way you've described it as being high touch is the perfect opportunity to really get at the heart of 
how folks are using something and are starting to experiment with it because the other thing that you often see with um, focusing on adoption is like, hey, every you know the work is happening, everything's looking good, um, but you're not getting to the root of like, well, everything's looking good because people are kind of bypassing these steps, and it's gonna you're gonna see it you know at the end of the quarter when you run these reports, but you won't see it right now, um, and so. I, I love the idea of hypercare not only being kind of uh, the, the, the time where you're really just buckling in on, on making sure everything's working okay um, and, and doing these um, maybe more, more numbers-focused reports, but you're also out there, ask, especially with a deskless workforce, how is, it go, like, how is it going using this? Is it comfortable to use, right? There's a lot of, uh, I'm thinking of specifically some new technologies where, you know, you might be asking people to, to wear things as they're, as they're going about. Like, is it comfortable to wear that? This might be their first time using it. Um, building that time in to kind of do that, you know, asking those personal questions, I think, uh, pays great dividends when you're thinking about that overall goal, which is adoption. I'm not asking you to call out, you know, any of your colleagues, uh, but I, but I am a little bit curious what your take is on how well the business operations folks are assessing adoption of technology. It doesn't have to necessarily beat your current, um, you know, employer, just throughout your past in this role. And what I mean by that is not getting complaints or not getting support requests is not necessarily equivalent to adoption. Mm -hmm. They may not be using it. They may be using workarounds. They may be doing things flat out wrong. They may be using it for all eight or 10 hours of their shift and doing it wrong all or most mm -hmm. of that time. How well do you think the folks that should be are assessing the actual adoption and if it's being used correctly. The audiences that I've had the, the I've been very lucky in my uh, role as a change management professional to work not only in kind of project management organizations, but then also in a lot of uh, what I would consider kind of like, I'm like client aligned, right. With different organizations and um, in those conversations, you hear direct from, you know, supervisors or frontline workers, some of the concerns that they're having and that they're hearing. Um, I would say that the disconnect or the most, um, the most troublesome disconnect happens when you are having those conversations and, and saying, hey, I got a lot of great feedback about, you know, how we've been talking about the project or what we've been asking folks to communicate so far. And it, you know, working or not working, or you know, this is this is in general what we're hearing, and then the disconnect is between the change management arm of, of an organization and kind of the, the project arm of the organization. The um, now that is been few and far between because again, I've been very lucky to have. Uh, most of my career have been with organizations that are like, we get the need for change management. We get why it's so important. Let's get them embedded and, and get them a, to be a big part of it while also working on how do we better ourselves as an organization when dealing with change. So like, how do we make change management something that's not a job, but is something everybody does? That's, that's been awesome. But um, I think the worst thing that could happen is when 
you are setting these goals for adoption or use or, or uptake or however you want to describe it, and then you're not being intentional about how you're going to listen to folks during that period when you're um, you're doing that kind of formal like feedback collection because I think a lot of yeah. times people will see feedback as like usage statistics they'll see it as kind of uh, is the process healthy like is it is it accomplishing what it needs to are numbers looking good is it is it providing the savings it needs needs to and it's not take into consideration well like people hate using it and it adds like two more hours onto their day right yeah yeah, yeah no I, I think you're spot on and I I think I don't know if I I don't think I have come up with the right words to describe these things maybe somebody else out there has already got the right words but I feel like there's a difference between using something all day and you know, which we might call adoption or engagement or something like that, right? Versus using it correctly and accomplishing the goals of the individual in the business. Yeah. And I'm asking you this question, but I'm really asking it to anybody who might be listening to this. To your next we, potential guest. Yes. And them too. And so listen up here. <laughs> uh, no, it, but, but it's, it's really true that we can have people using software and maybe in some cases it adds a little time. Maybe it doesn't add time. Maybe it's actually making them more efficient, but I've seen some evidence lately in my day job where we have a training platform that, you know, kind of works on some of the stuff where we've seen some errors happening in the training process. And we've gone back to talk to those clients and ask them about how those users are actually using those things in a production environment. And a lot of times they don't know the answer. And that's really what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to call them out as individuals either, but I am saying like, ultimately we have to be looking at the production software and the outcomes that we want to obtain through these transformation initiatives, right? We've made these investments for a reason. And so again, not getting complaints. And maybe in some cases we added a little time, maybe sometimes we didn't add a little time, right? All those other kind of, I think, general user experience issues, I think are one thing. And I agree with you completely. But I think there's also the other side of that, which is if our goal was to improve the accuracy of inventory, if our goal was to reduce the number of returns that we have when we do a delivery, you know, what are those key objectives that we were going after? And post implementation and, you know, getting into some level of, you know, kind of the sustained phase, are we actually accomplishing those things or not? And I'm surprised at the number of times I've asked some of these questions in an organization where the answer isn't crystal clear. And that surprises me a little bit. And so I, I guess I'm just kind of thinking out loud a little bit to just mm -hmm. wonder why organizations that can spend millions or tens of millions of dollars then sometimes don't go back to um, check to see if they're really accomplishing what they, they set out to do. I, I think sometimes just corporate culture is kind of, it's like, what's the next thing that's causing our hair to be on fire and we're going to go <laughs> focus on that. It's like, wait a second, we were working on inventory accuracy improvement. Like, did we get there or did we not? So anyway, I don't know that there's really a question in there as much as just me ranting about something that, um, you know, I see and man, I, I really want to encourage 
um, everyone that's involved in transformation. And this is really true of whether it's frontline workers or not, but I, I see it a lot with frontline workers because they are where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. And so the inventory is happening there. Products are being manufactured there. Deliveries are happening there. Retail clerks are doing transactions and creating revenue you know, events right there. So that's where the rubber meets the road. And if we don't have engagement with that technology all the way out to those men and women on the front lines, we probably are having some some you know issues behind the scenes there so as i said i'm not really sure there was a question in there other than just a rant but <laughs> no, I, I think you're i think you're spot on because in my experience a lot of times initiatives i'm involved with are stepping stones to well we're we're going to put in this new software and train up the workers on it with the intent that you know next year we can launch you know this additional improvement right. or we can slowly add on to the suite of things that we're that we're expecting people to do, and a lot of times it's focused. All right, great, like that piece is in place. Let's let's work on getting the next piece in place. And and for sure, like you, you don't lose sight of like kind of long range objectives. But I agree with you. There can often be a, a drop in the you know uh, dropping the ball there between uh, and and it could look like you know go live happens and hypercare happens and it's like okay. Like we're good, you know, yeah. that we did it. Let's let's move on. And that's in sustain. That's in the past. And let's look forward. And I think I think you're right. It needs to be built in as like, well, if these are our KPIs, like who are we leaving, not leaving behind, but who are we setting aside to to measure that piece while we're moving forward at the same time? Yeah. You said something else. I I, I want to give a shout out to another one of our guests. And then I I know um you had a question or two for me that I, I want to make sure we leave some room for if, if you're still uh, interested in asking. Oh, yeah. that. Um, but I want to give a shout out to a guest. Uh, I don't think the podcast has been released, but it will be by the time this one's out. So, um, but Alvin Hagen said something and you just reminded me of it. He said, you know, that change management, change management in an organization is becoming effective when people stop talking about change management. And that really struck a chord with me. And you mm -hmm. said something before that kind of reminded me of that, that it's, it can't just be like some thing that you just add on. It has to be actually like something that you absorb as, as part of the culture. And so I, I didn't want to let your comment go without, you know, just referencing what Alvin said. I thought that was such a brilliant statement uh, on his part. And it, I think it speaks to the importance of all of these transformation initiatives and change management as a strategy inside the organization. It has to become a part of the culture. It can't just be like a couple of line items added yeah. to a, a project plan. Right. And, and I, I just love that he said, like, you know, it's effective when people stop talking about it, it just means it's just become a part of it. Like we don't talk about accounting, like, Hey, we have an accounting strategy, right? It's just like, it's just something that we do, right? Mm -hmm. We've got debits and credits and we have processes for tracking invoices. It's just, it's a part of what we do here. Right. And when change management can get to that point, then I think it's it's now become embedded in the culture. So I love that idea. I think it's a bit aspirational because I know every organization is not there yet, right? But but that's yeah. okay, right? We, but that that ought to be the goal, right? The, the goal shouldn't be that we have to be calling it out as a, as some type of separate thing all the time. It just should be you know embedded. So anyway, just wanted to comment on that. So thank you for uh, for bringing that up. No, of course. And that, Alvin is spot on too. I, I think that the the most successful an organization can be is when they are focused on the end user as much as a change management professional is 
uh, it's only going to lead to a better prod product, right? From yeah. the project, and it's not change management is not intended to be this like niche niche um, consultative service, right? You shouldn't right. need to call in, uh, you know, pro side to have them come. And I'm sure they're doing an amazing job. I'm, I'm positive, but you shouldn't have to call them in or get someone like me on your team every time you're doing an initiative. The goal should be, hey, who are we putting? on this project let's make sure that they all understand that our bottom line goal is to make this be as effective as possible and part of that is how are folks going to take to it how are we going to ensure that we're building you know the best case for adoption at the from the very start of the project in terms right. of how we communicate and then build that awareness and desire behind it how we're going to train them and how we're going to sustain you know all the all that goodness that we built up uh, as we've been doing the project but now yeah. that is spot on and i think this is why really you know frontline innovators this this show we've we've ended up having so many people on from with change management you know roles because uh you and they are evangelists for this and so um you know as we think about big transformational changes inside organizations uh we need people like you evangelizing for this but it's not just you guys that are uh, affecting that change. It's it's the education that you can bring to all the other folks in the organization about just thinking more proactively and deliberately about, mm -hmm. about change and about how their people are going to be. And you mentioned something earlier and I, I ran out of time to ask the question, but, um, or just to, to talk about it further, but just about the importance of leadership on the front lines and their role in change management. And all of those things are important to, to make sure that these things are successful. So. Um, I'm glad we got to, to touch on that a little bit. So we are coming up toward the end of time. This is zipping by. Um, I know you had a question or two for me. So why don't you I did. in, uh, again, letting the, letting the listeners in behind the velvet rope. Uh, I wanted, you know, in our conversation, I found out that it's, it's very rare that you get asked a question. And so yeah. my question for you is there, there has been a shift in the, I think the public consciousness, uh, regarding what I think most people would consider kind of an invisible workforce, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, that the, I think, especially the deskless workforce. Uh, and, you know, nowadays, I think that the mindset of companies is more tuned in on um, how are we accommodating and attracting, you know, uh, what would be at one point probably considered unskilled labor. And I think, Really, the crux of that is that there's no such thing as unskilled labor. Um, and I wanted to get your reaction to that. I, I'm curious, do you see in your in your work and maybe in the conversations you've had so far, do you believe that, you know, most organizations are shifting towards a better understanding of or a better focus on, you know, the deskless workforce? And um, do you think that's going to be something that gets sustained? I think it's a it's a fantastic question, and, and I have a few a, a few different thoughts that come to mind. The first is I want to give a shout out to my co-host and, and colleague Gene. Um, Gene has said something many times that I've adopted as if it was my own idea. Uh, but what he has said is, you know, frontline workers are knowledge workers too. And this came up when when he and I are tag teaming on writing blog posts and, and other material for our business. And, and we used to kind of delineate between a knowledge worker and a frontline worker. And, you know, he had the realization, I think, from some customer interactions that uh, 
it's probably not the right terminology for us to be using to delineate between somebody that sits at a desk in an office and accounting or HR or operations or something, right? Versus the men and women that are out in the field. They are also knowledge workers. In fact, they're probably less replaceable if we're being honest with ourselves than some of the folks in corporate. I'm sorry to all the folks in corporate that just heard me say that, but, but the truth is they have such intimate knowledge of the customers, of the plant operations, of how to operate the vehicles, the nuances about the trucks that you operate in your business versus the trucks that they used to operate in another business, like all that nuanced knowledge that exists out in the field. Um, it's hugely important. And I do think in terms of the perception, I think people at corporate, I'm making broad generalizations here, but that's that's all that we can do since we're not talking about a specific company or operation. Mm -hmm. right? But I think that people at, at corporate would often misunderstand or misrepresent the level of knowledge that would be required to do the jobs in the field. I would say in contrast to that, I've been around a lot of like utility companies, for example, and <clears throat> there's so much knowledge out in the field in a field service organization at a utility company that is irreplaceable. And I think um, many of the leaders in those organizations know that because many of them used to be one of those field service technicians, right? They've come up through the ranks and they know all of that tribal knowledge that exists and then it keeps the business running every day. So I think sometimes like that, the perceptions are probably based in part by, you know, where the person that you're asking the question of, you know, sits in the organization and, and their perspective. My last part of my very long-winded answer here to your, to your question is um, something that I think is kind of neat that's happened as a silver lining in the pandemic. And that is this shift into using the term essential workers. And I love that. And I think it's kind of neat. And I think I told you the story about the article that I wrote before the pandemic that didn't get picked up. And then it got picked up after. And um, you, know, you talked about the invisible workforce, which is you know, a reference that I had in that article. And, and it was really fascinating to me to see that shift when all of a sudden COVID hit. And, you know, we make jokes about, you know, toilet paper not showing up on the shelves. And all of a sudden we kind of step back and we say, who the hell's job was it to deliver the toilet paper, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we started to reframe how we thought of men and women that had jobs that um, all of a sudden I think people started becoming more aware of it. And so yeah. I love that. I, I, I absolutely love that. There's, I've always had, because I've been involved in this business where I've been dealing with mobile technology, I've been acutely aware of those roles and kind of what they do. Um, and so it's nice to see maybe the general public kind of raising their awareness now and uh, recognizing them for the important role that they play in our global economy. And so I mm -hmm. think some of it is just the essential nature of their work. Some of it is the other part of your question was like unskilled. No, I don't think of them as unskilled at all. That's uh, I think it's important. Now they may come into the job without the skills that are necessary, mm -hmm. but I don't think the job is an unskilled job. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. digging ditches with a shovel, you know, actually I even got, was trained by a landscaper <laughs> that I worked with on how to properly use a shovel. So like, you know, yeah, sure. There are some jobs that are really just kind of very manual in nature, but most of the jobs that we're talking about where there's technology being deployed in the environments that you and I've been talking about today, mm -hmm. um, there are expansive skill requirements for those roles. And it's, it's really important for us, all of us that play a role in this to make sure that we recognize those skill requirements and that we're bringing those men and women up to speed so that they can be successful in their job. And I think what's happening in organizations right now, I know that I said that was my last part, but one more thought is um, 
what's happening in organizations right now is with the massive turnover that it, organizations are experiencing, I think they're having to like look very closely at why people are leaving, what's mm -hmm. causing them to be frustrated, what are they doing to make sure that their folks are skilled and able to be successful in their role, because they can't look at their workforce as disposable. And um, maybe some companies have taken for granted, you know, a little bit too yeah. long. And, and so maybe some of the things that we're seeing right now are going to kind of force that hand a little bit. So, um, no, short answer is I definitely <laughs> think most men and women on the front lines have really uh, very important skills in order to do their job. And I do see them as essential workers in many cases. And I'm, I'm glad that maybe the rest of the, the global uh, economy is has kind of coming around to that realization. So, and I think I think your points bring up a really good um, like kind of secondary question of investment, right? Like there is, um, there are, I'm sure in your, in your experience as well as mine, I can think of dozens of people that I've met, um, reliable, uh, flexible, adaptable leaders in, in organizations that rose through the ranks from positions of, Hey, I started, you know, moving pallets around and, you know, 30 years later, I'm now one of the operations managers here or something like that. Right. And the wealth of knowledge, right, about institute, like how this organization is operated institutionally going back, you know, decades in some cases, the uh, wealth of talent that exists in that individual, I think it all stems from that initial investment of their supervisor saying, hey, like, I, I want to give you the tools, right, to succeed. And it, it comes back to making sure folks are are well equipped to do their jobs. And I think that inherently as a part of, you know, focusing on digital transformations, you know, just for the sake of our conversations, like that exists at, it should be seen as, and should be, um, should be discussed as a way to invest in those folks to say, Hey, you know, here's another opportunity for you to prove yourself as a super user, as, you know, the subject matter expert in this and, and quickly, uh, being a, uh, being an advertiser for adoption, right? Like all of these things are working are what's going to set you aside. But but moreover, to your to your overall point, I think organizations need to start looking at how they implement digital transformations to say, well, are we doing this with that type of investment in mind, and, and how are we bringing people along? But I I, I love that point. I, I I definitely agree. There's there's very um, in the I'm glad it. I'm glad it has happened, and I and I hope that you know most most folks in the public uh, kind of keep that understanding up because it was it was definitely an eye opener for me. Um, and I'll admit being kind of in that in that category during the pandemic, realizing like, hey man, now that there's no, you know, now that all the toilet paper's gone, like what do we, <laughs> what do we do? But um, it, it is a you, little bit funny that the biggest outages were things like toilet paper. Mm -hmm. That just shows. There, there's some funny story about human behavior in there somewhere. Maybe we should not explore that. I think that comes down to necessity, scope. but no, you're, it, you're it definitely right. It's outside the scope of this podcast. So <laughs> I, I, I've got to wrap this up, man. We're, uh, we're at the end of our time, but really thank you very, very much for, for joining me today. It's been a great discussion and uh, hopefully you've started a, a fun new trend of, of having some guests uh, ask questions. So I'm going to open that up on our prep calls from now on and uh, make sure that we get a few more of those. Good. I hope, they, I hope they grill you. I hope they do too. That'd be awesome. I, and next time I'll try to be a little less long-winded if I can. <laughs> no, come on now. You're saying this to me who took up the, the listeners can uh, send you in a timestamps for my entire speaking and then yours, which I'm sure is like yeah, we'll, 15 we'll pull, to one. We'll pull the transcripts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
All no, right. this well, has been excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elliot. Really do uh, enjoy your time today. And uh, so to the audience, I hope you found the conversation as enjoyable as I have. Um, if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. One of these days, I'm probably going to spell that wrong. But um, if you or anybody else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we're always looking for new guests. So we'd love to hear their story. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, maybe they will be a guest on one of our future shows. Elliot, thanks again for your time today. Well, thank you. 